I want to begin with a story from Tony Campello, where he talks about a time he was asked to speak at a Christian college. He remembered that before the service, eight men had him kneel so they could place their hands on his head and pray. He was glad to have prayer, but each of them prayed a long, long time. And the longer they prayed, the more they pushed on his head. Interestingly, one of the men didn't even pray for Tony. He prayed for a neighbor. He said, Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. Tony recalls he wanted to interrupt and tell the man that God already knew where the guy lived and didn't need directions. But he remained silent and just tried to keep his head upright. The prayer went on. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in and do something, God. Bring that family back together. The prayer time ended. Tony preached. And things went well. After the service, as Tony was headed home, he saw a hitchhiker, and he felt strongly compelled to pick him up. Tony said, we drove a few minutes in silence, and then I said, hi, my name's Tony Campello. What's yours? He said, my name is Charlie Stoltzfus. Tony got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. After a few minutes, Charlie said, Hey, mister, where are you taking me? To which Tony replied, I'm taking you home. Charlie narrowed his eyes and asked, Why? And Tony answered, Because you just left your wife and three kids. Charlie plastered himself against the the car door. Can you picture that? (laughs) Plastered himself against the car door. He was shocked, for he had never seen Tony before. Then Tony really freaked him out as he drove right up to the silver trailer. When Tony pulled up, Charlie's eyes almost bulged out as he asked, How did you know I lived here? Tony said, God told me. And in some ways, indirectly, 
He did. When Charlie opened the trailer door, his wife yelled, You're back! You're back! Charlie whispered in her ear. And the more he whispered, the bigger her eyes got. Then Tony said with real authority, the two of you sit down. I'm going to talk. And the two of you are going to listen. That afternoon, Tony led those two people to Jesus Christ. True story. That's a great story about conversations. Conversations in two dimensions. Vertical and horizontal. Conversations with God in the form of prayer, which is vertical. And conversations with those who who need to hear about God. Horizontal. Both dimensions represent crucial lines of communication. And in the last portion of this letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul explains how we are to speak to God about people And how we are to speak to people about God. So if you have your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 4, the last chapter. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. We covered verse 1 last week. Verse 2. Where Paul says... Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up the door for the Word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I might make it clear in the way I ought to speak. If you spend any time in the New Testament looking at the life of Paul, you will clearly see that prayer was absolutely critical to him. And here he tells these young Colossian believers, and us as well, that we are to devote ourselves to prayer. We are to devote ourselves 
to having heartfelt conversations with God. That word devote or continue, depending on your Bible translation, in the Greek means to attend to constantly. To attend to constantly. And it speaks of one's steadfast devotion to someone or to something. If it helps, think of a husband who is devoted to his wife. Or a wife who is devoted to her husband. The idea is that one dedicates himself or herself to the other. It implies there is a strong attachment, an allegiance, an affection for the other. And in the case of prayer, there is to be a steadfast dedication to it because prayer is an expression of our intimacy and dependency upon God. Intimacy and dependency upon God. Jesus told us that when it comes to prayer, we are to be mindful of who we're talking to. We are talking to the Lord God Almighty. I love that. I love that phrase. We are talking to the Lord God Almighty. He is the God Most High. He is sovereign over all. And yet, He has actually invited you and me. Think about this. He has invited you and me to call Him Father. The Lord God Almighty has invited you and me to call Him Father, which was a very intimate way to imagine and approach God. And when it comes to our dependency, we are a people of great need. And Jesus said, our Father already knows what we need before we bring our need to Him. That's what Jesus said. We are never, never informing God of anything. Are we? No. We are never informing God of anything when we pray. Instead, it would seem 
He just wants to hear our voice. How cool is that? He just wants to hear your voice. A voice that is intimately and dependently directed to Him. So when it comes to prayer, Paul might say it's the most important conversation we have. Because God knows us best. And He loves us most. No matter what, we need to devote ourselves to prayer. Or we could say we need to keep at it. We need to hang in there. And then he explains that in our prayer, we are to keep alert. Now what does that mean? Some commentators have suggested that Paul is saying, don't fall asleep when you pray. I have done that. Maybe you have too. I know the disciples fell asleep in the garden when they were asked to pray by Jesus. But I'm not sure that's what Paul is talking about here. I could be wrong. But I don't think that's the case. Instead, I think Paul is telling believers to be mindful of God's constant presence. To be mindful of His presence. To be watchful of His work around us. And we know God is always at work around us. And to be ready to pray anytime, anywhere, for anyone. In the midst of a phone call, if, if so moved, we are praying. In the grocery store, we are praying. While driving on the highway, we are praying and probably confessing as well. At work we are praying. In the home we are praying. In this church, even in the hallway, we are praying. In a nutshell, we are to be on the alert. Constantly on the lookout. And when so moved, even with our eyes wide open, we are to be praying for people. Paul, thank you. <laughs> Paul also says that our prayers should be given with an attitude of thanksgiving. I am going to tell you, and I've told you before, when it comes to some passages, I wrestled with this one. I did. I wrestled with this because I know there are some of you who are grieving a loss. I know there are some of you who are living in loveless 
relationships. I know there are some of you who are fighting serious diseases. I know there are some of you who are in chronic, severe pain. I know these things about you. And in all honesty, being honest here, the thought of praying with an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving might be the farthest thing from your mind. And so the last thing I want to do is to toss out some weak explanation about thanksgiving that really doesn't help anyone. That's what I wrestled with. I know that in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he said, it's really short, he said that in everything, you probably know this, In everything, give thanks. And as far as I know, everything means everything. But just for clarification, because clarification is important here, Paul did not say give thanks for everything. Because there are some things that are horrible and evil and it would be unreasonable to give thanks for these things. Instead, Paul said, in everything, not for everything, but in everything give thanks. In the midst of your situation, give thanks to God. How, how do we do that? How is that even possible? There are probably several really good answers that escape me. And surely the work of the Holy Spirit in, in one's life is is critical here. But I think that thankfulness tends to boil down, this is what I'm thinking, I think that thankfulness tends to boil down to a matter of faith and a matter of perspective. A matter of faith and a matter of perspective. I think 
We can be thankful when we pray because we have faith that God is going to do what is best even though it may not seem like it or feel like it at the time. We can be thankful when we pray because we believe God is for us and not against us and ultimately He is working for our good. When we pray, we can be thankful because we trust that God has a purpose and a plan and He is doing something in us and through us. I learned this the hard way. For years, Trish, my wife, suffered from terrible face pain. A pain that feels like a dentist is drilling your teeth without any antiseptic. And to some degree, even today, that pain still lingers with her. At its worst, for eight long, excruciating years, Trish suffered greatly. And all I could do as her husband was to watch and pray. And at times, watching and praying were almost unbearable. Almost unbearable. I was scrambling for answers. Desperately searching for a remedy. Any remedy looking for anything I thought that could help her. I asked God to take away her pain and to give it to me if that would work. I frequently asked God, why? Why her? Why doesn't He take this away? Many times, being honest, I was absolutely angry with God. Angry with him. How can God turn this into something good? How can this be helpful to Trish? How can this be helpful to anyone? I'm being honest with you. One Sunday morning at another church, I was helping as a greeter. And a lady I had never met walked in to the building. I, as a greeter, engaged her in a conversation and learned that she had been attending a Mormon church. And she wanted to give us Baptists a try. As we continued to talk, 
I asked her to tell me a little bit about herself. She mentioned she suffered from great pain. A pain I would not understand. A pain no one seemed to understand. She felt all alone. And I asked her to tell me what was going on. And as she explained, I knew right off the bat that it was the exact same condition that Trish had. Same condition. And I connected them together. I believe she still attends that Baptist church. And her son is in the worship ministry. You see, God knew what He was doing all along and I should have trusted Him. I should have trusted Him. God had a purpose and a plan and unbeknownst to me, He was going to work through Trish to make a connection with a desperate woman in pain who did not know God and thought she was all alone. We can be thankful because God is faithful and we can trust Him. And I also believe we can be thankful with a change of perspective. When asked to list what he was thankful for, one little boy wrote, my glasses. That's good, said the teacher. They help you to see better. No, responded the boy. I'm thankful for my glasses because they keep the other boys from hitting me and the girls from kissing me. (laughs) With a different perspective, this little guy had an attitude of thankfulness. As the old hymn goes, matter of fact, we sung it this morning. Count your blessings, right? Name them one by one. But so often, that's not what we're doing, are we? Instead of counting our blessings and clinging to God's promises, we are consumed with our problems. Listen, I know life can be hard. In fact, Jesus said we would experience trouble in this life. It's a foregone conclusion for all of us. But be that may, for those who know Jesus Christ, we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. 
a Savior who died for us. A heavenly home prepared for us. An inheritance reserved for us. And everlasting life secured for us. And to really put this in perspective, we don't deserve any of it. Everything we have or have ever had has been a gracious gift. We did not earn it. We were not entitled to it. And we had no right to it. We are unworthy. And yet, God is faithful. We can trust Him. And He has graciously given us and promised us so much. And it's with that understanding, I think, we can pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. Let's move on to verse 3. Still up on your board. A verse I, I find to be pretty interesting. Paul asked the Colossian believers to pray for him and his co-workers. Specifically, that God would open the door for the Word. I find this interesting because Paul says, pray for us, not that we can get out of here, but that the Word of God will go forth from here. I need to remind you, Paul is confined in Rome as he writes this. And he will remain confined for two years. But in this difficult situation, his prayer was for an open door to share the mystery of Christ. To share the gospel with people. The very thing that Paul is in confinement for in the first place. To share the gospel. That's what he's praying for. And just so you know... Paul would write four letters while in confinement. Ephesians. Philippians. This letter to the Colossians. And Philemon. Secondly, in verse 4, Paul asks for prayer for himself that he makes the Word of God, the truth of God, clear to people. He wants to bring clarity to it. And if you pray for me as your pastor, and if you are praying for, your, praying for the teachers here, that's the kind of prayer we need. That we make the Word of God clear. So this is how we talk to God about people. Now Paul shifts 
to talking to people about God. Look at what he says beginning with verse 5. Next slide. There we go. He says, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now we are in the horizontal dimension. Having normal conversations with people. Conversations that lead to a discussion about God. And Paul says the first thing that matters is our conduct. Is our conduct. The first thing that speaks to outsiders, referring to the lost, is our walk, our manner of life, our lifestyle, our behavior. Before we open our mouths, before we open our mouths, the lost take a note of our conduct. They watch what we do. They watch how we treat our spouses. They watch us with our children. They watch us at our places of work. They watch us under pressure. They watch us when trouble comes. So here Paul says... If you want to speak to the lost, then first consider your conduct. Because your conduct can nullify your conversation. Can you really tell someone else how they are to live when you aren't living that way? Why would anyone listen to you? We bring our family to church on Sunday. Now I'm going to meddle. Hey Larry, would you deal with that out there? Thank you. We bring our family to church on Sunday. We're acting all Christ-like. We're acting like Jesus is our best bud. But then during the week, it's complaining and cussing and losing our temper and making life miserable for everyone else around us. Does that make any sense? Paul is saying, first let your life speak before your mouth does. That's what he's saying. Let your life speak before your mouth does. Your walk comes before your talk. The lost are watching, so you should be careful that you don't do anything 
that would make it difficult to share the gospel truth. Yes, they may hassle you, and yes, they may make fun of you because you are different, but when all hell breaks loose in their lives, don't be surprised if you are the first they come to. Paul continues and he tells us to make the most of our opportunities when it comes to having conversations with people about God. We need to recognize the opportunities that are placed before, handed on a platter before us. And we need to take advantage of them. Listen, when someone asks you a biblical question, a spiritual question, that is a clue that God is working in their lives. He's doing something and they are put in front of you for a reason. So take advantage of it. Now here's another opportunity we often miss. Just like that lady who told me about her great pain, I am of the opinion that in general, people have no problem when it comes to telling others about their problems. Am I right? People have no problem telling others about their problems. And when they do, that is an open invitation to get involved. They have opened the door for you to share. And at the very least to say, can I pray about that? At the very least, we can offer to pray for them. And when we open our mouths, look at verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt. That's a little command with a great big challenge. Our conversations are to be controlled by grace. Our words are to build up rather than to tear down. Or we could just as well say that when we talk, we are to talk with others better than they deserve. We are to talk to others better than they deserve. Always with grace because... God is gracious to us. In our normal conversations, speaking with grace is one way we pay God's grace forward to others. It's a way to pay God's grace forward, and it's also a way to tell if we are on the right track in our walk with God. As we have already learned, what comes out of our mouth, what comes out of our mouth finds its source in the heart. 
And if our words are routinely rude and critical and arrogant and abrasive, if we are swearing and lying and gossiping, then we really need to examine our hearts. When we walk in grace, when God's grace is a spiritual reality to us, then grace is what comes out of our mouths. Even though the truth might be difficult to hear. In sharing the gospel, I want to explain to a lost person, this is me, I want to explain to a lost person that they are a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. That's what I want to explain. I want to do that. And I don't expect them to like that. But I can share that in grace. I can share it in grace. Our words are to be gracious as though seasoned with salt. And let me say, some of you might have that backwards. Your words are salty. Season with a little bit of grace here and there. Right? Just wanted to point that out. Anyway, what does Paul mean by seasoned with salt? Well, in his day, salt was used for several things. It could be applied to a wound to help in the healing process. It could be used as a preservative so that things wouldn't spoil. And in his day as well as our day, it just makes food taste better. So in that context, our conversations should be wholesome and pleasant and tasteful. Now John MacArthur, you know that name right? John MacArthur? He said something I had never heard before. And he explained that in the context of conversations, the Greeks had another idea. Salt was used as a figure of speech. It was used as a figure of speech to describe one's wit. And one's wit was the ability to say the right thing in the right way at just the right time. And I think that is what Paul is saying here. Saying the right thing in the right way at just the right time. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that, so that is a purpose statement, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I am so glad that Paul brought up that last part because some of you might read that 
and think we need to have all the answers to all the questions that are asked of us. But fortunately, Paul is not saying that. His point is, and I'm going to say some hard words to some of you. His point is, and here it is, in our conversations, we need to listen. We need to listen. We need to be sensitive and we need to interact with people as individuals. So as to know how to respond to them. That's what he's saying. He's telling this to people who like to hear themselves talk. So with that, that's a good place to stop. But before I do, I just have one quick thing to say. If we are walking with Christ, and we all say we do, if we are walking with Christ, then He will absolutely, 100%, 100% lead you to a lost person if you are walking with Christ. Because that's where Jesus went. To seek and save the lost. So if you're walking with Christ, He is going to lead you to a lost person. So what are you going to do? What are you going to say? Let us pray. Father, I thank You, Lord, for this time in Your Word. I thank You for the conviction in it. Because I must admit at times my speech is salty mixed with a little bit of grace. I thank You for the truth we find in Your Word. And Father, like like Paul asked, I would pray that You open up the door that we might share the Word. Help us, Lord God, to see the opportunities that You lay in our laps and to take advantage of it. And Lord God, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we are not hindered from sharing the gospel. Father, move in us. Give us a burden and a hunger for lost people because you had a burden and a hunger for lost people. Father, help us to walk with Jesus. To do what He did. To reach out to the lost. And Father, help us to know what to do.
and to know what to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm not going to leave you hanging this morning with what are you going to say? I, I have shared my faith with hundreds upon hundreds of people. And in normal conversations, and I've had conversations about hydraulics, and for the life of me, have no idea how I get into a gospel conversation. For the life of me, couldn't tell you how. But there I am. Wow, how'd that happen? But in my, in my conversations with people, normal conversations, where this is not a monologue where I'm just spewing stuff, but it's a dialogue. We're talking. In normal conversations, when it comes to this subject of Christ, when it comes to this matter of salvation, there are four points I want to make. And I've shared them with you before. Just four points. Not in any particular order. I have, in my mind, I have an order. And when I'm having a conversation with people, I know where I want to go. I know where I want to go. I want to tell them that God has a, has a purpose for them. I want them to know that. And that purpose is that He loves them and wants them to have eternal life. I want them to know that. Eternal life is free. It means we can have a full and meaningful life in the here and now. And when we leave this earth, we will be with Him for eternity. I want them to know that God has a purpose. I want them to know that we have a problem. We have a problem. And what is the problem? Sin. You know that. God has a purpose. We have a problem. We are all sinners by nature and by choice. And there's a penalty for sin. Eternal separation from God. And H-E-double-L. God has a purpose. We have a problem. But God had a remedy. And that remedy is the person of Jesus Christ. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for the ungodly. God has a purpose. We have a problem, like playing tennis. God had a remedy, and we have a response. Repent of our sin. Place our faith in Jesus Christ. And surrender to Him as Lord, for that's who He is. And you might say, you know what, Bob, I mean, you know, you're a pastor. You're supposed to know all these things. 
And you probably got a slew of passages to back up every point. And I do. But let me tell you, you could make all four points with a, with a one verse everyone here knows. The same four points. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You can make all four points with John 3.16. How easy is that? A Bible verse you already know. And if anyone here would love to, to pursue that a little further as far as sharing your faith, let me know. I would love to help you with that. Now maybe there are some here who've never heard that at all. Paul says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. I would love to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Give me that chance to do that. Give me that chance. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, this is a place I want to serve. This is a place I want to plant roots. Let me know. If not here, meet me in the kitchen. It's where I'll be. Maybe there's something else. You just need prayer. I would love to pray with you. However the Lord moves you, I just ask that you be obedient and you respond to him. That's all I'm asking you to do. Whatever it is, just be obedient and respond. So Lord, so Larry, 